0: So Matthew 17, we'll read it together. Start at verse 1, and it's page 984 in the Pew Bibles. And as we read, we of course remember that this is God's Word to us. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, "'Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah.' While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, "'This is my Son, whom I love, With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, when, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them, about John the Baptist. Amen. And we
1: thank God for His Word to us this morning. Matthew 17. In one of the introductions to one of the Christianity Explored talks that we've been working our way through recently, uh, Regal tells the story of being in a posh London club and waiting uh, to meet somebody for dinner. And he happens to be standing on the stairs, and there's another young man standing on the stairs, and he looks vaguely uh, familiar to rigo And in that sort of awkward way, they sort of nod at each other but don't really say anything to each other, and they're standing there for about five, seven minutes. And then somebody very, very smartly dressed uh, turns around the corner and says to this other gentleman, "'Ah, William, your table is ready. We've been waiting for you.'" Turns out he'd been standing beside Prince William for seven minutes, and he hadn't figured out that that's who it was." And uh, he, he then goes on to use that illustration to say, what a tragedy if we encountered Jesus, if we sort of became aware of Jesus, but we didn't really recognize who He was. Now, that may be the case for some of us. Some of us might have this uh, sort of idea of Jesus, uh, but we've not really figured out who He is. But for, for many of us, we've probably got a fairly good idea of who He is, at least in our heads. So, for many of us, we've been coming here for years, and and we we know all the things that the Bible tells us about who Jesus is and what He has done. Even if we've only been coming over the last number of weeks, we've been working our way through Matthew's gospel, and we see very, very clearly that Matthew is telling us again and again, that this is not just some good teacher, this is not an ordinary person, this is the Son of God come into God's world. We might even be able to remember, at least be familiar with that classic description of Jesus Christ in the Apostles' Creed. I I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Tremendous statement that's been in use within the church for nearly 2,000 years, saying this is who Jesus is. And, And many of us probably accept that in its entirety. But perhaps the truth is that for some of us, the reality of the person of Jesus, this Jesus, has not impacted us as it should, hasn't shaped our behavior as it should. His majesty and His glory has not gripped us and changed us as it should. That can show itself in all sorts of ways. For example, it might mean that we are mediocre in our commitment. If, if we're honest, we blow a little bit hot and cold when it comes to living for Jesus. It might mean that we are fearful in our lives. So, if things don't go the way that we expect them to, if difficulty comes into our lives, we find ourselves to be easily rattled, and our sense that God has got us, that He has a hold of us, it, it is a little bit tenuous. It might mean that we are timid when it comes to witness. Whenever those opportunities arise to to speak about faith, about Jesus Christ, we might find ourselves keeping our heads down. All of those things and many others could be indicators of the fact that the majesty and glory of the person of Jesus hasn't really gripped us as it should. We know who Jesus is in reality, but when it comes to this question, who is Jesus to you, then it's something less than who Jesus is in reality. Well, how important it is that we grasp His majesty and His glory, and this passage in front of us this morning will really help us to do that. It tells of a time when three of the disciples went with Jesus to a mountaintop, and there they see His glory. Peter tells us later in one of his letters to Peter chapter 1, he says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of, of His majesty, eyewitnesses of His majesty, for He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, this is my Son whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. They were eyewitnesses of His majesty, Peter says. So, we want to put ourselves this morning for a few minutes as much as we can in their shoes and see through their eyes, through this story, who Jesus is, and then two implications of that for us. So, who is this Jesus? Well, Peter uh, 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 has already said, of course, that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and this serves in a way to, to underline all of this in the way that this story is told to us. There's a lot of sort of clues that speak of the fact that these disciples are seeing God's Son first of all, the mountain. We, we, we don't know which mountain this takes place on. It's a high mountain. Some of the, the mountains in the north of the country are very high. Mount Hermon is about 9,000 feet, three times more the, the, the height of Donard. Location doesn't really matter. The point is that, that often in Old Testament history, God met His people on a mountain. Mount Sinai, for example, where the law is given. Elijah on Mount Carmel. The mountain is, in the tradition of the Old Testament people, one of those places where you meet God. The cloud, one of the ways in which God appeared to His people in the past was in a cloud. Remember the people of Israel being led through the wilderness, a pillar of fire by by night, pillar of cloud by day? When Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments on Sinai, the mountain is shrouded in cloud, we're told. Then there's the timing of all of this uh, when Matthew makes the point that it's after six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. And, And if you were to ask, what is the appropriate preparation time to meet God on a mountain. And then the Old Testament story says that when Moses received the Ten Commandments, he prepared with the elders for six days, and then they went up the mountain. So, So, the answer is, well, six days to prepare to meet God. There's the light. Matthew tells us that Jesus' face shone like the sun. His clothes were as white as light. You remember there was a time in the Old Testament when when Moses' face shone because he had met with God, but there it was a, a reflected glory. Here it's clear that this is Jesus' own glory. This is coming from Him. It's not bouncing off Him, as it were. And the companions, well, Moses and Elijah, both people who have encountered God on mountaintops before. So, again, the whole message is clear. Who is this Jesus? Well, this is God Himself. He does what God does in the Old Testament and takes it for Himself. And you see, the focus then is very much on Jesus. How incredible to to meet Elijah and Moses, How, how they were there is just hard to explain, isn't it? but they are amazing heroes of the faith. Moses, the the archetypal lawgiver, Elijah, one of the the great prophets, and and the the Jewish people would have been used to speaking about the whole of Old Testament history as the law and the prophets. And here they are, but the focus is on Jesus, as if to say everything that has gone before has been preparing for this individual and his arrival. And all of this then confirmed, all of these pointers confirmed, when a voice from heaven comes and God says, this is my Son, whom I love, listen to Him. Now, this helps us understand what's going on here. Jesus is simply giving His disciples a glimpse of who He really is. This is the the real Jesus. He's allowing them to see something of His glory. If you like, He is is drawing back the curtains and allowing the light that is within to shine out. could have done this at any time. could have allowed people to see Him as He really was at any point. Normally, the veil is drawn, but here the veil is taken back, and the glory of Christ shines out. He is the Lord of glory. Now, if you're here today and you're thinking, well, do you know, I, I, I knew something about Jesus thought He was probably just a pretty good teacher or really the best that humanity could, could produce as it were. You've got to factor this story into to your thinking, because that just doesn't fit, does it? He, he really is something out of the ordinary, something unique. He is the Lord of glory come to earth. You notice that Peter, Peter so often is the one that we've become used to hearing voicing something on behalf of the other disciples. And he blurts something out here. Verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Three tents he, he wants to pitch. And the other uh, Gospels, all the Gospels, uh, Ma- Matthew and Mark and Luke all tell us about this uh, encounter. The other Gospels <clears throat> tell us that, that Peter didn't really know what he was saying. He was so afraid. You could understand that. But there is nevertheless a sort of basic logic to what he is saying. You see, Peter would have been aware that Jesus at times spoke of the coming to the end, of the obsolescence of the the temple. The the, the fact that, that it would come to an end and worship there would cease. So, for example, when he's meeting the woman at the well, he says, There will come a time when people will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So, somehow, there was going to be a change in the way that people worshipped. And the word for tent here is actually the same word that was used for tabernacle, that mobile center of worship that the people of God had used for many centuries, hundreds of years earlier. And so Peter may be saying, Lord, is this it? Are we going to set up some new worship center? You're, You're so incredible. Moses and Elijah are here too. This is where people should come to meet with God. There's a certain logic to to what he's saying. But of course, he hasn't got it all right at all, and Jesus still has work to do. But he was right in this. There are implications to Jesus being revealed as this Lord of glory. We can't just say it's not going to make any difference. There are some some so-whats to who this person is. Well, there are two things that Matthew highlights for us two implications that He draws our attention to. First of all, Jesus must be listened to. If this is who He is, He must be listened to. Cloud comes down on the mountain, maybe just looks as if it uh, surrounds Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and perhaps uh, the other disciples are sort of outside of it, and they hear the voice of God saying, Jesus is his son and they should listen to him. That's really obvious, isn't it? If Jesus is who he says he is and who the Bible says he is, then we must listen to him. Now, if he's not, then there's no reason to listen to him. His teachings have no weight, they are no more important than some wise words of Confucius or someone like that. But if he is indeed the Son of God and the Lord of glory, then every word is to be treasured and obeyed. What he says is not just to be considered or measured up alongside other advice. We don't stand over his words in judgment, though many do, but he is to be listened to above all else. His words are life and freedom. They come from this Person of imaginable, unimaginable glory. And the question then, of course, is well, are we really listening to him? Some of you have sat here for some time and you've heard the appeals that Jesus makes for you to come to him. Are you listening? Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Those are words of Jesus. Are you listening? whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Are you listening? I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, Jesus says. Are you listening? You see, Jesus invites us to Himself. Are we hearing Him? But of course, as believers, we we need to continue to listen to the Lord, don't we? When we come together to to turn to His Word on a Sunday, how, how do we come Do we come with that sort of critical spirit that says, I'm going to sit above this in judgment and see if there's something here that that I want to incorporate into my life? Or do we come expectant and hungry with the attitude, Lord, whatever you say, whatever your word says, that's good enough for me. That's the way I want to go. You see, really, if, if you're going to know God's richest blessings in your life. You really need to settle that within your heart. Not, let's see what He says, but I will do what He says because I'm listening to Him. Going to mean opening His Word at home too, isn't it? When God said, this is my Son whom I love, listen to Him, do you think He just meant listen to Him occasionally, once a week perhaps? as we have opportunity, shouldn't His Word be a a constant feature in our lives, the background message in all that we do? We should be constantly allowing Him to address us, shouldn't we? We we hear so many voices. We were saying that to the boys and girls. Some of us allow a hundred Facebook friends to speak to us before we ever hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. John Piper said that Facebook was uh, allowed by God to show Christians that they really did have time to read their Bibles. Listen to him. If this is who he is, listen to him. The second thing this tells us, the second implication, is that Jesus can be trusted. He can be trusted. Look at this beautiful little bit. This is the only one of these accounts that tells us this. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Beautiful little detail. They hear the voice of God. They know all those Old Testament warnings that anybody who sees God will die. You can't be in God's presence without massive preparation and steps being taken to, to save your life, and they naturally hid their faces. They fell to the ground, and, and, and yet Jesus comes and touches them and says to them, don't be afraid. This is really wonderful. What is your hope as you step into the presence of God? You will one day. Every one of us will. We will leave this life and we will face our Creator. Perhaps the most important point in all of eternity, when we stand before the God to whom we are accountable. What will your hope be then? What will allow you to lift your head in His presence? Well, this tells us, doesn't it, Jesus allows us to lift our head in His presence. He is the one that we need. We couldn't face God without the Lord Jesus Christ, but with Him, we can hear those words, do not be afraid. So, we can trust the Lord Jesus as the one who will lead us into the presence of the Father. And you see, if we can trust Him with that, that most important of moments, we can trust Him with everything else. Remember those things that we said at the beginning that were sometimes symptoms of of maybe not grasping just how great Jesus is? So, a a mediocre commitment. What do we have to fear from siding with the One who is the glorious Lord? He can take the full weight of your allegiance. In fact, he, he, He must And we must trust Him entirely, because to trust Him, to trust anything else other than Him, is to put that thing in only the place that He deserves. A fearful heart? Well, look at this, Jesus. When we grasp who He is, we must know that we need not fear. That situation that you're going to go into this week that would make you anxious, that worry you have for the future… Look at the Jesus to whom we belong. He is the glorious one who is able to say to us in every circumstance, do not be afraid. That fear of witness. What is it that we're afraid of? Having people find out the truth that we're weird? But the Lord Jesus is the glorious one. Why should we ever be afraid of being known as one of His People, don't you want to say to people, "Come and meet him. He's he's glorious. He is the one who is able and with authority over all things to say into your life. Do not be afraid. You can trust me. That's what he's saying. There's a sort of additional guarantee here, isn't there? You, you know that you get something, some piece of equipment, some tool, for example, and you know that it's really robust and it's going to do the job, and, and, and you just you know that it's, it's not going to let you down. But you find as you open the box that there's an additional guarantee and a lifetime guarantee, and you think, well, I not need that, but it's nice to know that I have it. Well, it's a little bit like that here. There's a guarantee, an additional guarantee of Jesus' trustworthiness. where Jesus speaks about suffering and, and dying and rising again. In uh, verse uh, uh, where is it now, let's see uh, In verse uh, nine, yeah, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, "Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Son of Man's going to suffer in their hands in verse 12. Now you see, when, when you see who Jesus is in all of his his glory. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Why would someone like this suffer and die? And the reason is because he has to win his people. He's got to die for you and me. And you see, this is ultimately how Jesus is able to say to us, do not fear in the presence of God, because he's the one who would bear our sin. It's not that he, he comes into the, the presence of God And and we are, are, are brought into the presence of God, and He says, Father, I know that they're a mess, but can you overlook it? That's not your hope. He comes into the presence of the Father with us and says, Father, I've paid their debt in absolute entirety, and so they can be in Your presence with freedom and confidence. You see, it's an additional guarantee that that Jesus speaks to here. So this is who this Jesus is. He is the Lord of glory, the glorious one, the one from whom light pours forth, the one who is the, the light of the world, the one who is the eternal Son of the Father. He's not someone that we can easily ignore. He is someone that we must listen to, and He is someone that we can trust absolutely. Are you listening? Are you trusting? Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that so often… We hear who you are, and we sort of know it in our heads, but it doesn't work its way into our hearts and our lives. So we pray that who you are in reality might be who you are to us. The glorious one, the one who stood on a mountaintop and shone brighter than the sun, Lord, help us to listen to You and help us to trust You. Thank You that we can, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.